Well, if you would, please take your Bibles and open to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 6. Two weeks ago, we began this study here in Matthew 6, learning from the lips of Jesus about how to pray, examining what is commonly called the the Lord's Prayer. We've noted that the Lord's Prayer is not intended to be how it is most often used. It's most often used as a prayer to recite by rote, but Jesus intended it for it to be a pattern, something to teach us how and to help us understand how we are to pray. We've noted that our familiarity with this, with this prayer tends to cause us to overlook the complexity of this prayer and to miss the riches of the depth of truth that is in these very few words. So we're taking six weeks to unpack this little prayer. I think it's good for us, especially if you aren't, aren't really familiar with the Lord's Prayer, it's good for us to say it together. And uh, if you have not memorized the Lord's Prayer, I think it's good to memorize. While I don't think Jesus intended for us to pray it by rote, uh, it's good to put any and all of Scripture to memory, and uh, especially this pattern of prayer. So let's, let's say it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We've noticed that this prayer begins with a focus on God, not us. Unlike our common tendency when we come to prayer is we tend to focus right away on ourselves. But this prayer focuses on God And there's six petitions, six requests in the prayer. We noted that the first three are all about God. Only the second three are about us. And last week we looked at the first of these three petitions, which is, Hallowed be your name, or may your name be honored. Today we're picking up in verse 10 with the next two requests. Verse 10 is, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. It's just three words in English and three words in Greek. It's just saying God or Father as we learned to address Him last week in the, in the line before this. Father, may Your kingdom, Your reign come. I want to notice a few things about this as we, as we think about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven was a central focus of Jesus' teaching. If you just even skim the Gospels, you can't miss that, particularly in Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus mentions, talks about the kingdom or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven over 50 times just in Matthew's Gospel. It is God's great promise as we'll see in a moment. In fact, Jesus says that 
as we think about the centrality of the kingdom in his teaching, Jesus said to, uh, in Luke chapter 4, he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. Notice he says, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus is saying it's so central. This is really the reason I was sent to teach and preach, was to talk about the kingdom of God. It was the focus of his ministry, but this kingdom focus didn't begin with Jesus. In fact, it's a clear and major theme throughout all of Scripture, including the Old Testament. The theme is that God will establish a kingdom on earth with His promised King, the Messiah, on the throne in Jerusalem. We see that clearly laid out to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Also, you find the same thing in 1 Chronicles 17. God made a promise to King David that he would raise up one of his descendants. And as he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Again, it's all through the Old Testament. We Just one other, one other place to look that we'll look here this morning is in Isaiah. Some 300 years after King David Isaiah writes a passage that we we hear a lot at Christmas, but we don't pay a lot of attention to other times. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. He will reign over David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. All other kingdoms are going to fall. The Lord is going to establish a kingdom that will endure forever As Daniel, writing about a hundred years after Isaiah, says, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Every kingdom of man, every human government will fall. God's kingdom will be the final government and it will endure forever. We come to the New Testament and in Luke chapter 2 you recall as, as the angel appears to Mary to tell her that she is going to bear a son, Jesus. He says in Luke 1, says he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So Jesus was born. When Jesus began to teach, not only did he teach and talk about the kingdom a lot, as we noted a moment ago, Jesus promised in Matthew chapter 25 that he will one day bring this kingdom to earth. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, all the holy angels with Him, then then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. So it's really quite natural. Since the kingdom of God was on Jesus' lips continually, it's quite natural that 
the kingdom was on the disciples' minds after Jesus' crucifixion and after His resurrection and before His ascension, His return to heaven. They had gathered and Acts chapter 1 records that when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. They were looking for the kingdom. Jesus had talked about the kingdom. Then Jesus was crucified. It devastated them. It caught them by surprise. Shouldn't have. He told them it was coming. Then they were shocked by His resurrection. Shouldn't have. He told them He was going to rise from the dead. Now He says, he, He's told them He's leaving and they're, okay, it, is this the time of the kingdom? It's been what we've been looking for for hundreds of years. The prophets have foretold it. You've talked about it. Is this the time? And Jesus' answer was not, well, there is no kingdom. What is it? He doesn't say that. He just says, it's not for you to know the times. Guys, don't worry about when it is, when it's coming. The next verse, Jesus says in Acts 1.8, He says, focus on this, focus on the mission. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's your focus, not when is the kingdom coming. So as you go through Acts, it's not surprising that you find the apostles talking about the kingdom. As the book of Acts closes, the Apostle Paul is, in the last verse of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, it says, is proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Still central to the theme you see in Scripture is the kingdom of God. As the New Testament closes, the book of Revelation keeps us looking forward to that coming kingdom. Revelation chapter 11 gives a little glimpse into heaven and we see there in Revelation chapter 11 the time when, when it's time for the kingdom to come. And the, the announcement is made in heaven. Revelation 11, it says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Then we go over a couple of chapters because the announcement was made in heaven, but we see it come to earth in Revelation chapter 19 where Jesus returns to earth in power and great glory even as He had promised He would do when we read a minute ago in Matthew chapter 5. Revelation chapter 20 goes on to describe how Jesus vanquishes His enemies. He binds Satan and He rules on this earth for a thousand years. Then chapter 21 of Revelation opens and it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And it goes on to describe uh, our eternal home where God lives with us and we live with Him and Christ's kingdom is eternal. You see, the kingdom of God is not a little addendum to Scripture. It's not a little minor theme. It's not some just little 
side note here or there. It is the theme throughout the Scripture, through the Old Testament, to the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, through His ministry and life, and on until the Kingdom comes. There is much that we do not know about the future. But I do not think Scripture could not be more clear. Just as surely as Jesus was born on this earth, just as surely as He lived here and as He died on the cross of Calvary, just as sure as He rose from the dead and He ascended to heaven, He is coming back one day. He will return to earth. He will depose Satan, the great usurper, And Jesus, the second Adam, as Paul calls Him, perfect God and perfect man, will reign and rule here in power, restoring to men their position that we saw a few months ago back in Genesis when God created man and to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field and over all of creation. Jesus comes as God and man, to restore man's rule. And it says that we rule and reign with Him. That's the picture in Scripture of the kingdom. So the next to the last verse of the Bible actually contains a prayer. It's, it's Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. Jesus is speaking and it says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. And here's the prayer. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That prayer is the echo of this prayer in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. See, it's the same prayer. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The kingdom is God's great promise to men. It's the great theme of Scripture. And Jesus says this great promise, as He says to pray your kingdom come, He's saying that this great promise should also be our great priority. Many of us know Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, same sermon, this is the Sermon on the Mount where we find this Lord's Prayer. There in Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. He's saying that The kingdom of God should be our first priority, our high priority. It should be our great ambition and our great desire. Seek God's kingdom. A few chapters later in Matthew, over in Matthew 13, Jesus illustrates the great value and worth of the kingdom in some parables. Verse 44 of Matthew 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered it up. The guy's walking through a field, stubs his toe and digs down and sees you know, a treasure chest or something of great value. Immediately covers it up and he runs home and he empties out his bank accounts and he sells his property and he comes and buys the field says, then in his joy he goes and sells all he has and he buys that field. The next verse, two verses, he tells another similar parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had 
bought it. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, is, is worth everything. There is no treasure in this world. Nothing in this world that we can own or desire or want that compares with the kingdom. We are to make His kingdom first in our values, first in our desires. Yet I think if we speak honestly, if we look in the mirror and are honest, there's so much of the time that's not true in our life. Instead of longing for Jesus' return, instead of seeking the kingdom, we seek stuff here. And we might give lip service to, yeah, Jesus, I love the kingdom. I I, I love heaven. I'm looking forward to going to heaven. Just don't come back right now. Have you ever said that? Because I have. Honestly. It's just not right now. There's a couple of things here on my little list, you know, that I want to check off. (laughs) We place our desires and our values in the stuff and in the relationships and in the experiences of this earth. And we fail to see and to desire the glory and the wonder which is to come in His kingdom. I think we do that sometimes because we're like our ancestors Adam and Eve have bought into Satan's lie and we doubt the goodness of God. We fail to recognize God as we saw last week in, in, as the prayer opens to see that God is Father, a good Father who desires the very best for His children and will not hold back one good thing from them but we are just afraid that maybe heaven and the kingdom of God is a little downgrade from earth instead of an upgrade. If we're honest, there are times I would say most every one of us feels like that. Jesus is saying, don't believe it. Your kingdom come should be the prayer of our heart and our desire. Kingdom come. It's God's great promise. Jesus says it should be our great priority. Well, Probably the greatest reason we ought to be praying for His kingdom to come is because we long to see Jesus receive the glory that He is due. Because God's kingdom is all about Jesus' great glory. If we truly mean what we prayed in the first request, if you think back, it's hallowed be your name. May your name be honored. If that's really what we desire and what we pray for, then let me ask this question. Right now in this world, does God get all the praise that He is due? Does He get all the honor that He is due? No, He does not in this world. If we really mean, may your name be honored, if we really mean that, then this follows. Because when will it happen? The Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 describes such a time. 
describes the time. He says when there's a time coming when at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a day coming when everyone gives Jesus the glory and honor that He is due and when they honor Jesus as He is worthy, so they will honor God the Father. Says it's going to happen one day, but not until His kingdom comes. And so we ought to long for the day and pray for the, for the day when the rebellion is quelled, when Jesus' enemies are vanquished, and Jesus takes His throne, and God receives the honor that is due His name. If those weren't enough good reasons to be praying this prayer, Your kingdom come. Just like an infomercial, there's more. Always more. No, there's, this is awesome. See, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that we are God's children. And he goes on to describe our great destiny. For he says, if we are children, then heirs Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. He goes on to say that we might be glorified with Him. My mom died a year and a half ago and I can't believe how long things take. It's, we're still a year and a half later trying to get the estate settled. Just the legal stuff takes so terribly long. My brothers and I are heirs, co-heirs of my mom's estate. It's not a large estate. But everything that she has goes to her heirs. And we share because we are co-heirs. Paul says here, the Scripture says here, we are co-heirs with Jesus. When the kingdom of Christ is realized, God says that there is glory for Jesus and we share in it as co-heirs with Him. When the kingdom comes, there's glory for you and me. That ought to rev our engine. Whoa! Because in verse 18 he says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. He goes on to say in the next verse that even the whole of creation is eagerly longing for that day when we are glorified. <laughs> because you see, it goes back to the to the sin when it came into the world back in Genesis chapter 3. And when man lost our position as the regents of the world, there was a curse placed on the world. And Romans 8 is saying there that it's longing for the day when that curse is going to be reversed, when it's going to be lifted. And that happens when we are glorified along with our Savior and King Jesus. What an awesome thing. The more we understand this wonderful destiny, the more fervently we will anticipate and we will desire and we will pray, Your kingdom come. The second request, and I'll be quick about it here, says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This second request today, it's actually the third request of the prayer, it flows out of the second request, just as the second request flowed out of the first one. If we really 
if we really wanted God's name and want God's name to be honored, then we pray, Your kingdom come. And if we really want His kingdom to come, while we are waiting here on earth for the kingdom to come, this time where God's will is done always fully in heaven, but on earth, a lot of folks living in rebellion, we want God's will to be increasingly done on this earth, even as it is done right now in heaven. And so we pray, Your kingdom come, and we pray, Your will be done. It just follows from that desire. The kingdom isn't here yet, but until it is, may Your will be increasingly done here. As we've seen, the kingdom is going to be consummated at Jesus' second coming. And I might add before I go there, I don't think this is intended as some little, you know, little cheer from the sidelines by all the spectator Christians going, Yay, God, you know, your will be done. Rather, this is the passionate cry from the impassioned player who's on the sidelines who's going, Coach, let me in the game. Your will be done. I want to be doing it. I want to be involved. It's, it's a prayer of eagerness. It's a prayer of, I want to be part of this. Your will be done. I think that's the attitude of this prayer. We've seen the kingdom is going to be consummated at Jesus' second coming when He comes to earth in power and glory and takes His rightful throne. But I need to note that the kingdom of God was inaugurated by Jesus at His first coming. Jesus is King of a kingdom. That is, as He told Pilate at His trial in John 18, He said He is a King, but His kingdom is not of this world. At least not yet. It's a kingdom that currently exists in the hearts and the lives of His people. As the Spirit of Christ indwells His people, the body of Christ that is alive and functioning in this world, the kingdom of Christ is alive in the church of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says that as believers in Christ, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. He doesn't say He will do this one day. He says He has done this already. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 informs us that while, even while we are living here on this earth, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, which is there right now. It's going to come to earth when the king comes here. We're waiting the king to come. We are citizens of that kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. First Peter 2 calls us a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Then he goes on and he says, we are aliens and strangers in this world. Because our citizenship is in Jesus' kingdom. It's in the kingdom of God. With that reality in mind, let me suggest three implications, very practical implications of what it means when we pray, Your will be done. It means that we are to live here on earth now 
as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, serving a heavenly king, impacting an ungodly world as we live holy and godly lives in submission to our King. When we pray, Your will be done, that's what we're praying. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, his famous novel, uh, A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. It chronicles the horrors of a Soviet prison camp. And it does so through the eyes and the experiences of this fictional character, Ivan. Ivan observes a prisoner who is praying. And as he's watching this guy pray, another prisoner comes up and begins to ridicule him. And this other prisoner says, Prayers won't help you get out of here any faster. The man who's praying pauses and opens his eyes and responds and says, I do not pray to get out of prison, but to do the will of God in it. And I say that line exactly encapsulates the heart and the heartbeat of this prayer. Prayer is not to manipulate God to get Him to do what we want, but prayer is trying to discover what is it God wants, you see, in me and asking Him to enable me to do it, to obey it. That's what it means to pray as kingdom citizens, Your will be done. Secondly, if we pray your will be done, it means that we are being called to embrace kingdom values. It says your kingdom come, not my kingdom come, not our kingdom come. Your will be done, not my will. We tend to get busy building our own kingdoms and following our own agendas and seeking our own prosperity and our own security and our own pleasure and our own relationships and our own interests and our, our hobbies and our health and to even pursue our, you know, our nation's good and look for building our church. But God's kingdom isn't about that. It's your kingdom. God's kingdom what if we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, but God's kingdom plan means you don't get that promotion? Or even perhaps worse from our experience, God's kingdom plan means you lose your job. What if God's kingdom plan means you don't make cheerleader? Or you don't get that scholarship or you don't get well, or your 401k tanks. <laughs> what if God's kingdom plan means that your husband never responds, your family doesn't get fixed? What if God's kingdom plan means that you endure suffering or pain or loss? Are you still willing to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? See, Jesus calls us to a great kingdom paradox. 
when he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. If we try to pursue our own stuff and go our own way and, and you know, pursue our own kingdom, our own will, he says you end up empty-handed. But when we give up our desire and our ambition to say, whatever it is you want, God, that's what I want. Whoever loses his life for me, he says, will find it. You end up full. It's the great kingdom paradox. But Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he didn't do himself. That night on the night before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. If we pray this prayer, your will be done, we live as kingdom citizens is our aim. We seek to embrace kingdom values. And thirdly, we engage the kingdom mission. Ultimately, this is a missionary prayer. Two reasons I say that. One is if you look in the Bible, see what is God's will? What does God desire? You'll find several things, but one particular of note I see in 1 Timothy chapter 2 where it says, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants or desires or wills that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everybody to be saved. Not all people will be saved. But it's God's desire that they will trust Him, receive Jesus, have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. If we pray this prayer, your will be done, what it's saying is, God, I want what you want, and people need to be saved. It's a prayer that people will be saved. Secondly, I know this is true because, go back to this question, if, if our desire is that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what's the most effective way for that to happen on this planet of seven or however many billion people it is? It actually is one at a time. One person at a time. When someone places their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and they follow Him, they begin to do the will of God. And there's one more person doing God's will in this world. In other words, the more people that we bring to Christ and, and get to follow Christ, the more God's will is done in this world. The Bible word for that is making disciples, which you recall is the mission that Jesus gave us to do in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Just before Jesus ascended to heaven, He said, Go and make disciples. I love being a part of this church. That I know that most of you, this is your heart to live as kingdom citizens. I know that most of you seek to embrace the kingdom values to love what Jesus loves, to put that as a priority. I love your heart to share the good news of Jesus. Just this week I was writing the annual report. Some of you may have seen that showed up in your mailbox. As I was writing my part, I was looking. I saw you guys sent $175,000 around the world to reach people for Jesus. Actually a little over that. Blew me away. You embrace it. But you don't just do it with your money. You do it with your lives. You guys are involved in different ministries, sharing the gospel. You're talking with neighbors and coworkers and friends and family. 
Amen. How we need to embrace this prayer. Pray and look forward to Your kingdom come. And in the meantime, Lord, may Your will be done on earth. Let's pray. Father, big stuff. This is huge. Who knew so much was in so few words? It makes sense. Jesus, the Master Teacher, loaded these few words with so much that we need to be here, we need to hear and be reminded of this morning. Thank you, Father, for the kingdom of God, the great promise that we have to look forward to. This world is a mess right now. There's so much that's wrong. It's all going to be made right when the kingdom comes. We have so much to look forward to. There's glory coming. We don't deserve it, but thank you. You've said it's coming. Father, you've left us here in the meantime to live as your kingdom subjects in a world that is in rebellion. Also that we can show to the world the great love of Christ so that we can be His hands and His feet in this place and share the good news of the Savior so that more people will come to know and to believe and trust and to follow our Lord Jesus. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.